Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. been uh, preaching through Proverbs, and I think that song is such an appropriate uh, introduction to any part of Proverbs you wanted to talk about, this persistent invitation from God that we would go deeper, uh, that we would find ourselves in Him. Um, As I was thinking about the text I'm going to be looking at with you this morning, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8. I'd encourage you to flip there if you'd like to. Uh, We're going to be looking through a a good chunk of Proverbs chapter 8. But I was thinking about uh, when I was a kid, Something that people used to say to me that I absolutely resented was that they would tell me that little girls matured faster than little boys. And I hated it when people said that. I can remember thinking about church camp, someone saying that to me, and I would just absolutely get so angry. You know, you can't say that. I'm smart. I'm mature. You can't say that about little boys like me. And then I remember the first time I was a church camp counselor as about a 10th or 11th grader. And I had to watch some little nine-year-old boys and nine-year-old little girls, and I remember having these really wonderful, emotionally intelligent conversations with little nine-year-old girls, and then you try to talk to little boys, and it's like they almost don't even use words, right? It's all sound effects, you know, all this stuff. I've seen some statistics that suggest that actually continues into adulthood, that even for grown men, substantial portion of what comes out of our mouths is still sound effects. We don't always use our words. So I was, thinking, I was thinking about that, and I remembered a collection of photos I came across that claims this is why uh, men die younger than women. <laughs> so uh, you'll, you can form your own theory, but uh, I wonder why it is perhaps that men might not live so long. Maybe it's some of the things we choose to support us. Y'all see those? I mean, <laughs> there's no words, right? especially that one at the top right. He has got an awful lot of confidence in those two little boards holding up that truck. But uh, yeah, maybe it's the things we trust to support us. Maybe it's some things we assume about the strength of our immune systems. Um, I just love this, all these guys in hazmat type suits and this guy just standing there. (laughs) And if he gets sick, I'm sure he'd feel genuinely surprised. Maybe it's what we assume about uh, the size of our bodies and things we will and won't fit in. So, how do, you, how do you explain that to somebody? Well, I got my head stuck in a chair. Perhaps it could be some of the places that we choose to use power tools. Yeah, both of those are just awful, right? I mean, you're just a couple inches away on the left, and then that dude, uh, let's just hope the power cable doesn't go too far into the water. But uh, yeah, so you can form your own conclusions. I'd say the problem with most of these images would have to be that it's not a good thing to miss something that should be obvious, right? Hotels.com has made good use of a a common expression you hear people talk about, Captain Obvious. Have you all heard about Captain Obvious? Have you all seen those commercials? He'll just point out stuff that ought to be really plain to everybody. I mean, just dumb humor. If you're reading this, you can read. Well, that's, thank you, Captain Obvious, right? But Proverbs invites us to be thinking about things that really should be obvious to everyone that sometimes people miss. The thing about wisdom, about wisdom as it's personified as this noble woman, Lady Wisdom, she's not in hiding. 
She's not under a rock somewhere. She's not off in the wilderness where you can't find her. But Lady Wisdom will claim very openly that I'm trying to call out in the streets, and I'm just begging you to listen to me. I'm begging you not to be simple-minded, not to be foolish, not to miss something that you ought to be able to see clearly. Wisdom is something that is out in the open. It should be obvious if we have a mindset to be looking for it. Wisdom wants to be found. I want to begin reading in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. She's unavoidable. She puts herself where everyone has to pass by. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. So, reading through Proverbs as we have been, when we read Proverbs through a Christian lens, one of the things that I think we should absolutely claim about our faith is that Jesus is truly an upgrade even from what we have in the presence of Lady Wisdom. He's not just been there in the form of someone kind of wishing we would pick up on some obvious things, but Jesus actually did put on flesh, not just a metaphor. He wasn't just a metaphor like Lady Wisdom was, but Jesus became a flesh and blood human being who lived in all the situations that we live in. You can try to imagine the worst situation in the world, the worst things that could happen to you, and pretty much all of those things have happened in the life of Jesus Christ. He was betrayed. He was murdered. God can speak of what it's like to lose a child through, through terrible means. There's, there's so many ways that He can connect to us in our deepest and darkest places. And in that sense, Jesus Christ becomes this upgrade that wisdom is not just a message or a collection of advice, but instead wisdom has become a person, a real flesh and blood person. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, "...in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." All the stuff that Proverbs alludes to, in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, You are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. All the things that we long for, the righteousness that we can't earn on our own, the holiness that we don't deserve, He's become those things for us because we can put on the name of Christ as Christians. We're clothed with Him in baptism, and we get to take His identity as one who is righteous and holy, and in Him we also have redemption. I find it fascinating also that Proverbs 8 has a connection to John chapter 1. So I want to read through this passage in Proverbs 8, and then we're going to interface a little bit with some of what's said about Jesus in John. It says, "'The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place." 
when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind." So in this passage, wisdom is portrayed in several ways, certainly as this delightful child of God, one who is this companion of God. Wisdom is portrayed as a wise master craftsman, someone who is guiding the shaping of all things. Wisdom is a participant in the origins of all created things. When we're serious about implementing change in our life, one of the truths that it's important to grasp is that often our thoughts precede our actions, don't they? If you've got a problem with your actions, you need to fix your thinking so that with better thinking, it'll start producing different kinds of outcomes in the things that you do. It's also the case that wisdom preceded creation, that the mind of God came before the creative acts of God. And so in John chapter 1, Think about that passage we just read through and listen to some of the parallels that you encounter as it talks about Jesus. When John describes Jesus, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as John describes Jesus, Jesus, John says that Jesus really is the full embodiment of the wisdom of God. Jesus is not just a message from God, but He is the living Word of God, not just a message in words, but a message in the form of a human being. Jesus is also the creator of the world. We don't speak about Jesus as just a good person who came along and maybe had God's divinity rest on Him at some point in His life where He had an extra dose of wisdom, but no. When John speaks of the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus is eternal with God. Before the world comes into existence, Jesus is already present, working alongside God and also holding things together. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." When you look at the way that the Gospels and also the letters of Paul talk about Jesus and who He was, it becomes clear that in their minds, Jesus really is the embodiment of wisdom herself. This figure of lady wisdom that we get glimpses of in Proverbs comes to, to full existence in the person of Jesus Christ. And knowing that to be the case, it helps answer some of those questions like, why is it that I would look to Jesus for directions for how I ought to live my life? 
Why is it that I would look to Him for guidance? Why is it that I would look to His path to be a desirable path to walk on? Because some of the times, I mean, let's face it, the Christian path is a difficult walk, isn't it? But why would we choose that path over any other path? It's because He's the one who made the paths. He's the foundation on which all other paths are laid, and He Himself is the path. Jesus will say, I am the way, I am the path, I am the truth above all truth, and I am the life. When you walk on my path and you listen to my truth, you get to experience life that is abundant and not limited. And so thinking about these truths about Jesus as the full embodiment of the wisdom of God, I want to share a few things with us that I hope are really just reminders of things that you already know. So I'm going to state a few things that I hope would be obvious to us if we're paying attention, but maybe I can give us a healthy reminder of what it means to know that Jesus is before all things and that all things are made for Him and through Him. One thing that should be obvious to us is to accept this truth that all of us have limits. You have limits, don't you? We might like to pretend we don't, but it's not too hard to test our limits and to discover that they're there. We talk about all the, the things like multitasking. People love to claim how good they are at multitasking, but you know, even those simple little exercises about can you like rub your stomach and pat your head and that kind of thing, it's not easy to do two things at a time, is it? Much less three or four things at a time. You really only have enough focus to accomplish any one thing and do it well. Some of you who are parents can talk about limits. When you've got two or three kids who are supposed to be at practices in two or three locations at the same time, and you're trying to navigate, how do I as a human being divide myself and go to all those places and get them where they're going to go? It's a good reminder that, you know, I'm not unlimited in all the things I can do and all the places I can be. For your personal limits, I mean, try going 48 hours without sleeping. I mean, at least a good third of our life, the only thing we're really able to do is just lie there unconscious because we need the time to recover. We're not that powerful. We're not a never-ending source of energy. Every one of us needs sleep on a daily basis, not to mention food. I mean, the thought of trying to go a full day without eating food or drinking water, it's, it's a burdensome thing to think about. But all of these things remind us that we have limits, that God is all in all, but I'm not. I can't be all the things that he is. We're temporary. James says it's kind of like a mist. You know, you think about getting a little spray water bottle and you just mist a little bit and it's there for just a second and you can see it and then it's gone. He says that's what our lives are like. Our lives are just like a mist or a vapor. We're here so briefly. Psalm 90 talks about the importance of learning to, to number our days. He says if you number your days, you'll gain a heart of wisdom because your days will be numbered. They're not without end, not in this life. We have limits. We have to number our days so that we can be wise in how we use them. So the question becomes then, with these few short years that I have, with this limited potential that I have, how is my life going to contain any meaning? What is going to be the purpose of my life? And the answer lies in connecting ourselves to one who is unlimited, to Jesus who is before all things, the one who holds all things together, when we connect our life to his life, it becomes part of something that is larger than us. It becomes part of something that's more significant than we are. It might be that one of the best metaphors for what it is to become a Christian, to become a believer in Christ, is to think about what family is like. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up with a pretty large family, especially on my mother's side. Uh, my great-grandmother, and most of my great-grandparents were living uh, when I was growing up, so I, I had the benefit of knowing most of my great-grandparents. Uh, one of my great-great-grandmothers lived to 102. I got to go to her 100th birthday party when I was 12. But uh, I had a lot of family around for a long time. And uh, one of the things that my mom's family did every year was that we would go to one of the places of origin where a lot of them still lived, and we would have a big family reunion. And so I know some of my fifth and sixth cousins really well because we, as a family, that was just one of our things we did. We'd continue getting together and kind of knowing each other. And maybe you didn't have a family that large, but you can probably still remember if you ever went to any sort of a family gathering, like you think of your earliest memories going to a family Christmas party or a family Thanksgiving gathering, you know, there's a definite sense that, you know, I'm, I'm just young and I'm little. There are a lot of people here that were already here before I got here. There's a lot of memories they can share with each other that had already occurred before I was even thought of. There's bonds that they have that far predate me, and, and hopefully in your family you could also say there is a lot of love that binds these people together. It's clear that they've shared in life together and they've continued caring about each other. But the wonderful thing about being a child who's born into a family is that even though you hadn't done anything to deserve their love, you hadn't impressed them, you hadn't earned anything, but from the earliest days, hopefully you can remember being cherished, that they were excited to pick you up and hold you and laugh with you and play games with you, and they couldn't be any happier to have you there as part of that family. The family love is something that's not earned, it's not a right, it's not merited, but it's a gift. And that's so much of what it's like to be a Christian. You know, we, we walk into this life and we're part of this faith tradition that, that predates us by, by many, many years. There have been so many generations of people who've tried to live faithfully, who've come before us, and even some present among us, some that we grow up with who are a few years ahead of us, but it's still a wonderful thing to be welcomed into this ongoing family of a loving community that holds together, that long before we arrived, we recognized that God already loved the world. Long before we could sin, God was already working out the way by which we could be saved. We have limits, but God is bigger than our limits. Important to recognize that obvious thing about our limitations and the goodness that comes from being connected to Christ. A second thing I hope would be obvious is that we really are God's delight. Wisdom says, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in God's presence, rejoicing in His whole world, and delighting in mankind. You know, wouldn't you think it would be the case if you were an alien coming to our planet on a spaceship and you just started looking around the planet if you were to say there is one species of, of, of beings on this planet that has been valued and privileged above all other species, I mean, it would have to be human beings, would it not? You look at the cities, you look at the roads, you look at the businesses, you look at all the things that we've been given, the power and the wisdom to change and create for better or for worse. We've been given this huge share of power, but also responsibility for what it is we ought to do. But, but just the same... Looking at us from an outside perspective, you'd have to say God must really delight in human beings to have blessed us as richly as He has, that we would see as many successes as we have. Recognize that you were created to be a source of delight and joy for God. When God imagined you, His purpose for you was that you would, would bring Him honor, but that this would be something that is a delightful thing, a joyful thing. 
In many cases, when people try to take kind of an atheistic view of the world or a purely secular view of the world, and we say, well, you know, we just got here, you know, evolved from animals, there was no origin point, there is no cause behind any of this, very often you'll hear these voices talk about the way that we really need to be passionate about taking care of like the animals, like what makes you better than any other kind of animal in the world. But so often, if you notice what happens with people like that, they don't actually end up elevating animals. What they really do is they devalue human beings. So they'll look, for example, like at our sexual ethics and say, we're just mammals. We ought to just do what mammals do. We're not answering the higher call of wisdom. We start reducing ourselves down to the level of the animals over whom we should have dominion as God envisioned it. We're intended to be a source of delight for God. So don't allow yourself to be devalued in your thinking or in your sense of worth. A third thing that I hope is obvious, especially from our lived experiences as Christians, is that we do have power. We have limits, but we also have power. That's one of the great claims in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 14. Wisdom says, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight and I have power. Power is an ability to bring about change. That as you look in your life, the situation of your life, the relationships you have in your life, you are not powerless to affect those things. But instead, you have agency. You can impact people with your words. You can affect the work environment that you enter into every day. You can be a participant and use your energy to accomplish things, or you can withhold from doing any of those things. But we have power. Uh, power is that ability to change things. Matthew chapter 11 and second part of verse 19 reminds us that wisdom is proved right by her actions. That's something that Jesus taught. So if you want to know where true wisdom lies, look at the fruit of what it is that someone has done. If someone tells you they've got a wiser, better way than the life that you're living, we'll see what the fruit is that it's producing in their life. If they claim to have all the answers to how you ought to run your family and what your priorities ought to be, well, we'll look at their life and see the way that, that things are turning out. The, the psalmist invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it out and see what the results are of the actions that wisdom would require of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, Paul reminds us the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We're not just here to talk about things. We're here because we believe in our lives. We witness the power of God who works in us and through us, who does answer our prayers, as we were just reminded this morning in Cindy's case, but, but that we have power, real power at work within us. And it's the same power, as Justin was talking about, that raised Jesus from the dead. The very same Spirit that raised Him from the dead is the Spirit that lives within us to move and to work and to accomplish the will of God. So we have limitations, but we're intended to be God's delight, and He does give us power to make a difference. A fourth thing that I hope would be obvious from looking to Jesus as the source of all wisdom is that love really is the best path. You know, of all the different options we have on the table, there's, there's always the path of least resistance where we can be bitter, we can be doing anything we can to, to scrap and get ahead of people, to take advantage of people. There's a lot of different selfish paths that we can take. But Jesus, being the one who holds all things together, knowing all paths, knowing all things, chose for himself the path of love 
the path of self-sacrifice, the path of doing the best that he could to give himself for the benefit of others. That's the path that Jesus chose, and it should be obvious to us as Christians that that is the best path on which we could be walking. Considering all the things that he knew, his choice then should also become an obvious choice for us. It's love that really inspires the most things. Whether you're talking about the greatest works of art, music, literature, is it not love that inspires most of these things? When you consider what it was that moved God to send His own Son sacrificially to save us, was it not love that created the path to that action? What moved Jesus to performing all His acts of healing and His signs and His acts of mercy? It was love that motivates these things. So to the question of what's the path that I ought to choose in my life, the question ought to be, what would real love require of me? If I were to try and mirror the love that Christ had, the mirror the, the, mirror the love that God has had for us, love has certain requirements. Valuing others means that I'm going to take a certain course of action. So what is it that love would require of me? Proverbs chapter 8, in verse 32, this is the end of the chapter, it says, Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all who hate me love death. So there's this image of the door. It's an image that Jesus Himself invokes in the book of Revelation as He talks about knocking at the doors. Him is the one knocking, but the invitation here in Proverbs is that wisdom wants to be an obvious thing. Wisdom wants us to find it and to practice it. And so in our lives, when we see a door that God has provided, when you see an opportunity where you could demonstrate greater love in your life, when you see an opportunity to speak a needed truth into a person's life who's, who's deeply confused, and you can do that in a spirit of love and kindness, God wants us to be waiting at His door looking for those opportunities. I love that invitation from wisdom. Blessed are the ones who wait outside my door every day just waiting to see what possibilities might open up to them. So I invite each of us to be thinking about what door it is that God might be opening to us right now. In your own situation, your situation in life with your health, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your coworkers or, or, or fellow students that you deal with, what might be the door that God is opening up to you? And maybe there's a door that you already know that you've been needing to walk through and you just have not chosen to walk through that door yet. If you've never become a Christian before, if you've never made that commitment of faith to Christ that you want to be one of His people, to put on His name in baptism and to live for Him in all the things that you do, maybe that's a door that you need to walk through. But maybe it's just some other opportunity that you've been passing by, but instead you need to seize that opportunity. Uh, whatever your needs are this morning, this is a time we'd invite you to respond, and uh, we'd invite you to do that by coming forward as together we stand and sing.